You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Gators Breakdown, the Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. Gators Breakdown, episode 150, is ready to go. I'm your host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. A little something different for this episode. As we're going to take a look back at some of the stats, Will Miles, Bill Sykes, and I pointed out when and soon after Dan Mullen was hired. Uh, we did a lot of digging just to see what kind of coach the Gators were getting. So these stats are from past episodes, and, and since this is kind of college football preview season, I figured it would be a, a good refresher and also for some of our new listeners to get to check out some of these stats that uh, we thought were, were really key and really speak to the kind of coach the Gators are getting in Dan Mullen. So... We look at overall numbers and just how much Mullen improved Mississippi State, how competitive uh, Mullen made the Bulldogs versus the, uh, the uh, SEC West's best, Todd Grantham's defense uh, before and after when he arrives at a new school, and also you know, what makes a, a great quarterback under Dan Mullen, as well as some uh, other tidbits sprinkled throughout the episode. And before we get started, remember, you can find all Gators Breakdown episodes on newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. There you will find all the Gators Breakdown episodes from the past, present, future as well, uh, as well as articles from the News for Jack sports team. That's newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. Also, listen on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube if you want the video version there. And when using those services, please share, rate, review the show. Let Gator Nation know what they're getting with Gators Breakdown. And on social media, follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. Now, let's break it down. Going back and looking at what he did at Mississippi State, and we've lined out reasons when you got to go against Alabama, when you got to go against Texas A&M, when you got to go against Auburn, you got to go against LSU, and you're the head coach at Mississippi State, winning as much as he did actually, to me, makes a statement. Absolutely. So first, uh, Coach, now I got this from uh, Poster EH on the Gator Bank boards, uh, the 24-7 Sports Network. EH says that um, he's the first Mississippi State coach to depart with a better than 50% win-loss record since Daryl Royal, who only coached from the 1954 and 1955 seasons and left at 12 and 8. Mullen won 60% of his games there. Um, as much as people like to point at Jackie Sherrill, uh, you know, uh, achieving some of the same success there, yeah, he had a 10-win season. Uh, that guy left at basically a 500 record out of there, uh, plus two ties. So what he did was unprecedented there. And uh, – 
I mean, it's just tremendous. Yeah, and I think I think if you look at what he's done from the standpoint of bringing in blue chip players, um, I know Bill, you'll probably get more into recruiting, but just a little you know, bit. <laughs> but I mean, a top a top twenty five class, which is kind of what he averaged over over his years there, really only places you ninth or tenth in the conference uh, in the SEC, and he was much better than ninth or tenth in the conference. He averaged seventh overall as as a conference finish. Finished third was the best overall in twenty fourteen. Um, so, you know. Basically, you would expect the team to be about a top 25 team. And when you look at the football power index through ESPN, he averaged 31 over his over his tenure there at Mississippi State. And I think it really starts to show the stark contrast when you look at when you look at the differences between him and Sylvester Croom. So Croom's average recruiting ranking was 42. Mullins is 27. More than anything, though, you start looking at points per game um, on the offensive side. Croom averaged it was 108th is what he ranked in the country. Mullins was 58th. And even on the defensive side of the ball, um, you know, the defensive side of the ball from a points per game perspective, um, Mullins' average was 38th and Crooms was 62nd. So he improved both the defensive and the offensive sides of the ball. He improved the talent significantly there at Mississippi State, and they, and they won more games than they lost. Um, you know, certainly I think there are probably some fair criticisms about the teams that had Dak Prescott just because Prescott was such a transcendent talent. And then he comes to the Cowboys and shows to be probably even better than we thought he was at the time that he was in college. And you wonder whether that might have been the time that Mississippi State had an opportunity to break through. But, um, you know, I, I understand why some people would have reservations about Mullen, um, particularly uh, considering that this is kind of a lateral move, you might say, for him. Um, <laughs> 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 but, you know, I mean, but, but at the end of the day, I, I wonder what would happen if you gave McIlwain and Nussmeyer Mississippi State's players from 2009 to 2017. Oh, man. And so Nussmeyer was the offensive coordinator for Sylvester Crew. <laughs> well, it is interesting because when you when you look at it, and and you know, year one is going to be a little bit interesting. But when you look, he went from basically 116th to 76th in points per game to 54th in his second year. So if you if Florida sees that kind of improvement on the offensive side of the ball, you're not necessarily, I don't think, going to have to worry too much about recruiting because people are going to see the direction and the progress and buy in. And that was always one of the things with McElwain is we weren't seeing any progress. So how do you buy in? And just to add to that, when he walked away from there, he's, he's got them in their eighth straight bowl game uh, every year but the first year. He's the second winningest coach in Mississippi State history. And even though he is second, uh, he averaged 7.6 wins a year, whereas Jackie Sherrill had more years, only averaged 5.1. He had two top 15 finishes there. He was number 15 in 2010 and then number 11 in 2014. That is tremendous for Mississippi State. Five and two in bowl games. You know, the 10-win season he had in 2014 was the third ever in their school's history. Like you said, 2014 AP SEC Coach of the Year. And, hey, you talked about defense. The guy has shown the, the ability to hire good assistants. He's hired good coordinators. We've got Jeff Collins out of there. He's hired Manny Diaz. Now they've got uh, Todd Grantham. So, you know, and we'll get into some of the staffing issues. But there's a lot of signs here between the development and the staffing and the production. It's a guy that looks a lot better suited to run a football program than Jim McElwain was. We still don't know that Jim McElwain's a bad football coach, but this job currently or clearly was above him. It was beyond him. He couldn't keep up with the recruiting and the off-the-field stuff. This is a guy who's gone into the cellar of the SEC West, the shark tank that it is, and he's held his own, and he's treaded some, tread some water out there. So 
with these accolades, with the success we've seen, I think we've got every reason to believe that he can be a good football coach at Florida. Yeah, and there were you know were things that we talked about that the success he had. I mean, look, you put him in the SEC East. Mississippi State's probably playing in an SEC championship game somewhere along the way. <laughs> so you know we mentioned playing in the playing in the West, but you know look at his overall SEC record. And those were those were here's where people kind of start to worry uh, about Mullen and some of the things uh, that may not be uh, up to par. You know his record versus the SEC at Mississippi State was thirty three and thirty nine. Uh, like I said, that was a division dominated uh, by Alabama who he never beat at Mississippi State, but look, not many people have. Uh, you also have LSU, Auburn, Texas A&M who recruit and have much bigger football budgets uh, compared to Mississippi State. Uh, but also another complaint is, uh, and I saw various records versus ranked opponents. So uh, the one I went with, he was 7-31 and 31 versus ranked opponents. Uh, but people, I think, use different parameters out there of when they were ranked or what poll it was or whatever. So uh, that's what I came up with. Uh, but if we're going to hold true to our mo- our motto or some of our <laughs> mottos that, that stars matter, yes, coaching does too, there's a reason he struggled versus more talented teams. He just didn't – he didn't have to tell. He didn't have the horses, uh, but still had Mississippi State competitive. You know, I get the worry, though, of the overall SEC record and, and the record against ranked opponents. But uh, I really think the caveat of being at Mississippi State is what held him back. I think so too. And if I may add to that, Dave, you brought up the rank, ranking versus, or excuse me, record versus ranked opponents, and you had a seven versus or seven wins in, uh, out of thirty-two tries, I, or thirty-one. Excuse me, I had seven out of thirty-two, so we were one off on there. Okay. By my numbers, which would be worse for him because I showed it only winning seven out of thirty-two. He was 21.8% versus ranked opponents. Well, people were comparing that to Willie Taggart. And, again, I've been a proponent of Willie Taggart. I think he would have been a good hire for Florida. I think Mullen's going to be a good hire for Florida. Well, Willie Taggart was only 3 out of 14. That's 17.6%. So Willie Taggart did well um, well below by percentage than, uh, than Mullen did versus ranked opponents. So his performance was not as good there. Uh, and I think you also have to take into consideration who those ranked opponents are. Yeah. And again, I mentioned that with top 25 recruiting classes, so in 2016, he had the 28th ranked recruiting class in the nation. It was 11th in the SEC. And I guarantee you five yeah. or six of those were in the were in the West. And so, you know, is it reasonable to ask him to be – I mean, to be quite honest, based on the national recruiting ranking, Mississippi State probably shouldn't have been a ranked team much of the time anyway. They should have right. been right on that borderline between 25 and 30, and they're getting beat by a team that's ranked 15th. Well, you know, they ought to lose. And every year they're playing a team that's ranked number one or number two because they're playing Alabama. So right. Auburn's been pretty good in that span. LSU's been very solid in that span. Ole Miss has been cheating in that span, and he's had to compete with that <laughs> within within the state. Um you know, allegedly, I guess, allegedly, old Mess has been allegedly cheating, but that's in his state. So he's still pulling blue chip recruits in from the state of Mississippi, even though he's had to go up against Hugh Freeze and some of the allegations that have gone on there at Mississippi. Something I really wanted to look at just because uh, it's kind of been hit on of the the, the negative part of, the, of Dan Mullen. And uh, the, if you go back, uh, what, what fans have kind of, pointed to uh, the issue with his record versus the SEC West. Um, And I wanted to dive in and just see how close or how far away he was to the top dogs in the SEC West. Alabama, Auburn, LSU, Texas A&M, and also threw Ole Miss in there since they're the in-state rival and hit an uptick in recruiting, albeit by cheating. So uh, 
So Mullen, of course, 2009 to 2017 uh, at Mississippi State, went and combined 13 and 29 versus those teams. 0-9 versus Bama with an average score of 31 to 10 Bama. 3 and 6 versus Auburn, average score of 29 to 22 Auburn. 2 and 7 versus LSU, average score of 28 to 21 LSU. 3 and 3 versus Texas A&M, remember they joined in 2012, average score tied at 32. And 5 and 4 versus Ole Miss with an average score of 30 to 21 Mississippi State. So I wanted to dive in and kind of look at some numbers of, you know, what what, what was happening uh, on the offensive side of the ball? That's what we know needs to be fixed uh, at Florida versus Bama. They averaged 280 yards a game with the highest being uh, in 2014 with 428 yards in that game. Average 192 yards passing, 96 yards rushing versus Alabama in his time at Mississippi State. Versus Auburn, averaged 368 yards a game with the highest in two, being in 2011 with 531 yards of offense versus the Tigers. Averaged 197 yards passing, 173 yards rushing against Auburn. Uh, and then uh, versus LSU, averaged uh, 370 yards a game, highest being in 2014 with 570 yards of offense. Averaged 230 yards passing, 145 yards rushing. Versus Texas A&M, averaged 462 yards a game, highest being 574 in 2016 averaging 218 yards passing, 244 yards rushing. Uh, and then against Ole Miss, uh, 418 yards a game, the highest being 566 in 2016, averaged 203 yards passing, 218 rushing. Now, you know, with, with these stats, it shows how much recruiting matters. The three teams of Alabama, LSU, and Auburn recruited really well, and it showed most of the time when Mississippi State lined up against them. Bama averaged the number one class from 2009 to 2017. LSU averaged 5.8. Auburn's was 9.6. And it's no coincidence that Mississippi State had better success versus Texas A&M and Ole Miss as their recruiting rankings weren't near as high. 16.5 average for Texas A&M and 20.5 for Ole Miss. Mississippi State, Mississippi State ranked 27th in average recruiting ranking from 2009 to 2017. So like I said, Bama, Bama averaged one, LSU ranked 5.8, Auburn 9.6, 16.5 for Texas A&M, and 20.5 for Ole Miss. So in 2013, all those other schools ranked in the top 10 in recruiting, while Mississippi State, Mississippi State ranked 24th. In 2014, they all ranked in the top 15, with Mississippi State, Mississippi State ranked 36. So what comes out of this for me is Dan Mullen competed in the SEC West and competed pretty well when the roster wasn't up to par. So if Dan Mullen can recruit at Florida, like we hope he can, he has a much better home state to recruit from. I believe this shows he could compete big time at Florida. Because besides Alabama, he was within a touchdown or tied or had a lead in the average score against those schools. Yeah, you know, it, he was outgunned week to week, and he's still got some of these wins. And you're going to see consistent results with that in the SEC, no matter which team you're analyzing. Guys, we can't look at the guy and say, oh, I keep seeing the comparison to Mark Richt. And Mark Richt had elite recruiting for a lot of years at Georgia. He had Georgia resources. He had the East to compete in. You know, Florida's been struggling, and he still hasn't got it done. Mullen was at Mississippi State you know, bring a knife to a gunfight versus Alabama. 
they're bringing scud missiles, you know, and he still, he couldn't beat Bama, but he still got some wins over some of these, these, these bigger programs over there running the gauntlet every year. I just don't think it's a fair comparison to expect um, elite results with, you know, get elite output without elite input of a, from a talent base. It's also really interesting that if you look, he had the misfortune of having Alabama and LSU on the same home and away schedule. So every year he either had Alabama and LSU at home or Alabama and LSU on the road. And Ole Miss fell on that schedule as well. So their biggest rivalry game fell on that schedule too. And if you look at Mullen's success, his best records come in years where he had to play Alabama and LSU on the road because those were basically sacrificial SEC games. And then he got the other SEC games at home and they were able to win some of those. And that's when he had those nine and 10 win seasons. So, you know, people looking for a breakthrough, um, you know, that 2014 season, they happened to have Alabama and LSU on the road that year. Potentially if Prescott had played that well in 2015, they would have, you know, they would have had a much better season. So um, it's just interesting to look at it that way that it, it fell a little bit unlucky the way their schedule set up and the, just sort of the big horses in the SEC while he was over there. But it's understandable. I mean, he was basically starting all, I mean, for the most part, 0-2 every season just based on the talent level, talent differential between the teams. Yeah, I mean, like I said, you go back and look at the average score, 31-10 to 10 versus Bama. LSU, I'm sure, is a lot closer. We know LSU and Alabama have played you know great games in that time. But look, they recruit similar to each other, Auburn as well. Uh, but you know, to be within a touchdown for nine years against Auburn and LSU teams that recruit in the top ten, you know, look, you start getting athletes that you can get at Florida. That's going to turn around. You have an easier SEC East already, so you should start winning in the East right away. But then when you play LSU every year, you know, you, you get these Florida athletes. You're going to, have to you're going to be if you start recruiting better, which he should, you're going to start being expected to be LSU. And you're going to start being expected to beat the other SEC West team that comes along uh, as well, as long as you have a top five to top ten class. And A and M, they was that they recruited about you know just um, cut in half. Their recruiting was was better than Mississippi State, and went three and three in his time there. And the average score thirty two to thirty two. Ole Miss in state school, they had to cheat to get the players they went uh, went and got, and uh, Dan Mullen held his own against them. So I just think this is a clear signifier for people who are worried about what he did in the SEC West. And as Bill said, you know, look, don't be so worried about it. I don't think there's many head coaches out there that would have been on that Mississippi State sideline and would have done much better. Yeah. I- I think it's I think it's legitimate to be worried about it. I mean, I think you look at it and you say you just don't know. There are a lot of games in that. If you look if you look at those if you look at the scores, there are a lot of games where Mississippi State lost the game close. And so is that a talent differential or could a coach have made a difference in those games? I think it's legitimate to ask that question. Um, it's legitimate to say, hey, you had Dak Prescott in 2014 and 2015, and yeah, you won 19 games, and that's a lot of games to win at Mississippi State. But in the year, what was it, 2014? Um, you know, 2014 narrowly lost to to Alabama, beat LSU, beat Auburn, but then got beat by two touchdowns to Ole Miss. And granted, Ole Miss was 18th, was ranked 18th at that point. But, you know, that was really an opportunity to maybe push things forward. And so I think it's legitimate to have some questions about that. I think that's one of the reasons that Florida fans were were maybe a little bit apprehensive about the hire. But but I think when you start looking at the broad, the broad, um, the broad sample of work, I think you can be encouraged that if he's bringing in top five classes, that, that he'll be able to compete with top five competition. 
Yeah, I, I don't want to invalidate those concerns at all because you're right, guys. I mean, they, those of you out there that are saying, hey, look, I, I know he's a good coach, but I want to see him do it on the field at a championship level. Um, yeah, he hasn't done it yet. He, he has not achieved a championship level of football uh, on the field yet. Uh, I, I just think it, that the way we have to analyze that, the way we have to be concerned about it is just by good comparisons. And and you got to control the factors there. If he doesn't have the talent, then – we can't expect that yet. So hopefully he can get it done. One, one thing I wanted to mention, uh, John Curto, one of our uh, Twitter followers, responded to our poll that we're going to be discussing. And he brought up an interesting point here. He says, you know, he knows UF. He knows the SEC, especially who we have to beat to win in Atlanta. And, you know, and that got me thinking, is there any other coach that they could have brought in that had significant experience in both the SEC East and the SEC West. And I don't think there's anybody that can match Dan Mullen's resume as far as that goes. Twitter follower Randy Stern at RL Stern 9 tweeted me yesterday talking about Mullen as a comp for Saban from Michigan State, sort of Nick Saban moving over from Michigan State. And that got me thinking about guys who conceivably, you know, from a program building perspective, were at maybe a lower tier Power 5 school and then moved to a traditional power. And I was looking for comps for both positive and negative. And I'll be honest, I had a hard time finding negative examples. So you can look at Saban in Michigan State. He went 34 and 24 and 1, goes to LSU and goes 48 and 16. So went from 58% to 75% win percentage. Les Miles at Oklahoma State went from 57 to 77. Mac Brown at North Carolina went from 59 to 77 when he went to Texas. Harbaugh at Stanford went from 58 to 74. James Franklin at Vanderbilt went from 62 to 67. Richt at Georgia went from 69 to 79. Petrino at Arkansas went from 67 to 74 when he went to Louisville. And then maybe even the best comp for, for, uh, for Mullen – Paul Christ at Pitt in his three years went 19 and 19, so won 50%. Went to Wisconsin and he's now 33 and six, so he's won 85% of his games. Um, you know, so really, what it looks like is guys who compete at programs where they necessary where people have had trouble competing in the past do a very good job when they come into power programs. Um, the only examples I could really find, and certainly if other people have more, more send them my way. But Steve Sarkeesian at Washington won 54% of his games. Went to USC and did win 67% of his games but obviously had some issues there with with drinking um the really bad example the only one i could find was houston nutt at arkansas he won 61 percent of his games there went to old miss which i don't think is necessarily going to a power school and really struggled um you could throw much that's a in lateral there. move will <laughs> <laughs> that is that is a lateral move <laughs> Uh, and, and, you know, interestingly, going from a power to a non-power doesn't seem to make much of a difference because Muschamp at Florida was 57%, goes to South Carolina, he's won 56% of the time. And then Todd Graham at Pitt went 6-6 six and six in one year. So I sort of was using that as a comparison for Paul Christ and then went to Arizona State and has won 60% of his games. So, you know, I mean, the floor is winning 60% of the games. The ceiling's winning 85. Most of these guys are winning about 75, which would basically mean an average of 10-3 and three every year. Um, you know, pr- pretty pretty good. I'm still stuck on this Arkansas to Ole Miss thing. That's like upgrading from like a Buick to an Oldsmobile. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, it was hard to find guys who transferred from Power Five schools and struggled. I mean, the reality is, is when you've when you've had when you've had success at one of those places, um, and you've kept them above where they historically are, it looks like when you get to a power school, the bump in uh, the bump in recruiting allows you to bump that win percentage as well. That's really encouraging, and I was eager to hear that tonight because I know you had teased that. And if you think about it, though, 
when you put a guy through the ringer and, and he keeps his head above water in, in, in a competition level like that, uh, I, I'm sure it's going to prepare him to not come in and coast. You know, he, he's going to be, like you like said, relentless effort because relentless effort is probably what it took just to tread water in the SEC West at Mississippi State. And yeah, and I, okay. uh, go ahead, Will. Well, I was just going to say, I've been looking at guys' winning percentage and saying guys who win immediately. It's something I said maybe a month ago, Dave, but guys who win immediately then continue winning when they get into these power these power programs. But those are guys who started out at Bowling Green and went to Utah and then came to Florida. Those aren't guys who went to Mississippi State and then came to Florida. So this was sort of trying to get a sampling of those guys who who started at a program that's just harder to win at. I mean, it's it's harder to win at Mississippi State than it is to win at at UCF. I mean, that's just the reality. And so comparing Frost and Mullen is really a hard thing to do based on their track records or lack thereof. But I think we can be encouraged based on what we've seen that, that the, you know, people call Mullen a, a low, or I guess a high floor candidate looking at this. I'm not sure that's true. I mean, if he goes 10 and three, 11 and two every year, no one's going to call him high floor. <laughs> yeah. I think what, what this can also say is these guys had success at mid-tier Power five schools, they they've tasted they've tasted success, but they know their limitations. So they're still hungry when they get these big jobs, and they know it's possible. Like, look, if I can get these five four stars and these couple five five stars to put on my roster, that could be the difference. And I think it makes them hungry. This is going to be a different defense. I mean, we don't know how some of these guys will fit into what Todd Grantham wants to do. It may be. Uh, what we think will be in a more attacking style type of defense. Uh, but you may see some, like Bill just mentioned, Clayton moving from in to outside linebacker. You may see, see you may see CC Jefferson doing much of the same uh, and, and, you know, being the, 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 the sack, the sack guy that, you know, Mullins or, and Grantham's defense, you know, absolutely needs. It's been a while since Florida's had that guy you could count on probably since Dante Fowler, to go and just go get a sack when, when you absolutely need it. Florida hasn't had that guy, and there we, that's part of the problem we were just talking about. But, Will, in your article, your latest article for Read Reaction, talk to Todd Grantham, and the, the, the thing I wanted to take away from it, and I think the key part was you're not necessarily sure, you know, he's you – don't, you, don't, you don't want to say he's a bad defensive coordinator, but you're not necessarily sure he can come in and change the results from what we saw under Randy Shannon last year in year one of uh, of his defense taking over for, uh, for you know for Randy Shannon and the uh, new staff altogether. No, I mean whenever you've got a nickname third and Grantham, chances are <laughs> chances are there's at least some some truth to that. So I wanted to look take a longer view and say, okay, you know he's got this reputation for giving up long plays on third down, blitzing getting beat deep, those sorts of things. Well, what is what shows up in the numbers? And to your point, Dave, it's it's not it's not like you're falling off a cliff. The team isn't getting a ton worse. But when you look overall, if you look at at the programs three years before he was there and average those, and then you take the time he was there and average and average stats, you look at points per game, yards per play, yards per rush, yards per attempt, QB passer rating and turnovers, they're virtually identical. His predecessors versus after he took over. And the only time you really see a jump is when he went to Mississippi State. And so he was taken over at Mississippi State for Peter Sermon. And interestingly, Sermon went to Louisville to take Grantham's job when Grantham went from Louisville to Mississippi State. And essentially, their their stats completely flipped. And so, so you know, Sermon had was the Mississippi State defense was 75th in points per game 
and and uh, and Louisville was 31st, and then you look at or 29th, sorry, and then you look at Grantham at Mississippi State, and he took him from 75th to 31st, and and Sermon took Louisville from 29th to 71st. So basically, a complete switch there. And so I wonder whether that has more to do with Sermon not necessarily being a great defensive coordinator than Grantham being fantastic. None of this to say that Grantham is a bad defensive coordinator. I just don't know that he's a difference maker. He's not somebody you know. Will Muschamp was known as a defensive coordinator who made a difference when you brought him in as a defensive coordinator. I don't know that Grantham is that kind of guy. Again, though, I'm not sure what the bar is. You know, Randy Shannon had a pretty good reputation at Miami, but once he became the head coach, the defense really started to struggle. The defense last year really struggled, though obviously, obviously there was a lot of youth. Um, and, and so, who you know, I, I just I don't I, I'm I'm assuming they're going to go they're going to be a little bit better this year, if nothing else, because they're going to start incorporating some of those guys who have been left aside. Antonius Clayton was like the 29th ranked recruit coming out of coming out of high school. Slayton was in the was in the mid 60s somewhere. So if those guys get incorporated in, you have a higher talent level. You have more depth as you bring in Bernie and Dean and those sorts of guys on the defensive side of the ball. I think they'll be better, but I don't know that it'll necessarily be some wizardry from Grantham. Um, and then the other thing is recruiting. He 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 doesn't seem to increase the number of blue chip recruits that are brought in from a recruiting perspective. So again, he's not upgrading the talent. He's just basically equivalent to what someone else would be with the exact same amount of talent, which isn't bad, but it's not a giant upgrade. It's not something that I'd say, oh, this is a home run. And that's one of the few things where, you know, Mullen, most of the stuff, you look at his underlying numbers, Mullen has gone from, you know, when he took over for Kroom, everything got better across the board. And that's, I was hoping to see that with Grantham, and I didn't. So I think people are going to be, I don't think anybody's going to be massively disappointed with Grantham, but I don't think anybody's going to say, oh, he's in line for a head coaching job next year after we see the job that he does. And that's not a terrible thing, but it's not something that I get really excited about either. Yeah, you know, I wonder, though, is that to do perhaps with his scheme being different than, than most defenses out there? I mean, there's not a lot of guys running the 3-4. Like, I mean, you get a lot of the multiple guys. You do get a lot of these hybridized defenses and stuff where you have a buck or a star or whatever you want to call your, your rush guy and space guy. But, you know, if you, if you look at it in scoring defense in Georgia, when you saw him go for four years there, the first three years you saw improvement in scoring D first in 2010, they were 30th. The next year they're 23rd, then they were 19th, but then everybody left for the NFL and they fell off to 78th. You know, he didn't have quite as many years there at Louisville had three years, 24th, 39th, and 31st. Uh, but then again, they were also always in the top 20 in yards, sixth in total defense in 2014th and 18th and 14th and 10th. So he's at least very capable uh, and, and capable of, of executing a defense at the highest levels of competition. It is a good question, though. Can he be a difference maker? Yeah, I'll go back to his, his one year at Mississippi State last year, and I've got a couple stats that worry me and one that makes me feel you know better about him. But his numbers versus the SEC last year, he gave up an average of 24 points per game in SEC play last year, um, 31 versus uh, – and then the teams with more talent based on recruiting, that number went up to 27 points per game, 31 versus Alabama, we gave up 49 to Auburn. Held, held LSU to seven, gave up 31 to Georgia, only gave up 14 to Texas A&M, and gave up 31 to Ole Miss uh, there. But you know, given you know Auburn's offense was rolling, they had 49 points uh, against that Mississippi State defense. Uh, the Georgia game was right after the LSU game, uh, where they just blew out LSU. So uh, you know, it was a lot of inconsistency. Uh, I guess would you say a Todd Grantham versus the uh, 
you know, the, the teams that have more talent on, on them. Um, but in games versus FBS opponents, they're ranked 48th in yards per play, giving up 5.3 yards of play. So, you know, that's okay. It's it's not great, but uh, it was his first year at Mississippi State and, you know, probably definitely not as much talent as he would have had at, had at Georgia and would have at Florida. Uh, but to Will's point <laughs> in the third in Grantham, this is a stat that does make me feel a little better. Uh, opponent third down conversions, they rank eighth in the country, only giving up 4.2 a game and 12th in the nation in percentage at 31.85. So that was Grantham's biggest blunder, and what he's been known for is, the, is his third down defense. But at Mississippi State last year, eighth in the country, only giving up 4.2 a game. Uh, not bad uh, there, and uh, you know, uh, Florida was right around that same number last year. But for Grantham, it's even more important given his reputation on that, on that all-crucial down. Uh, you guys made some really good points. There, there are explanations for everything, for every one of his stops. <laughs> so if you look at Georgia, there's that fourth year where they were solid years one, two, and three, and then that fourth year. But that would concern me a little bit because those are his players. Like those are his recruits. The fourth year is when you say, okay, now you've gotten all your guys in there. Now, granted, a lot of those guys left in year three, but that means they weren't his guys. And so, so you start looking at that and say his guys didn't develop to be ready to step in. And then the next guy, you know, the new guy comes in the next year and they're right back to where they were originally those first three years under Grantham. You look at Louisville and the defense got considerably worse under Grantham, but it was Charlie Strong before Grantham was there. And Louisville went from the AAC to the ACC in that transition. So again, is it really fair to to say, hey, now you're playing Florida State and Clemson. We're going to grade you against when you were playing UCF and USF and things like that. And then Mississippi State, he had one year. But I think when you look at it overall, it's an eight-year sample size when you average out all the numbers for all the defenses he's had and it's nine different years that I looked at for the without Grantham right before he came in and the passer rating is 120.7 before him and 120.5 with him the one place where there is a little bit of an uptick is turnovers so it goes from 1.6 to 1.9 per game um when Grantham takes over. And I think that sort of speaks to the aggressiveness. I think we are going to see some big plays given up, but I think we're going to see the defense make some big plays. I don't think he's awful. Like that's not what I'm saying. I just don't think that I I think you could probably pick any one of many different defensive coordinators and get the same performance. I don't think that um, I think, I think it's going to require a significant talent upgrade to have defenses like we've had in 2015 and 2016. And again, a lot of that talent is responsible for Jeff Collins looking good as well. It's, it's not just that Collins is a fantastic coach. I think the talent impacts that, but you know, who was involved in bringing those guys in and that sort of stuff are things you got to ask. So, um, you know, I, I don't think he, I don't think he's awful, but I think the track record says that he's going to perform very, he's going to perform up to the level of his talent, which is what most coaches do. I don't want to get in the way of Will pouring the uh, hater aid here. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I will say this, you know, just in a, as a rebuttal to the third in Grantham thing. Yes. He started off pretty poorly because his first four years uh, as a coordinator, his time at Georgia uh, or first, you know, his years at Georgia, not his first year ever as coordinator, but uh, he was 79th. Then, Rebounded all the way to third in third down defense, but then back to 36th, then down to 66th. Uh, but then since then, his last four years here, three at Louisville, one at Mississippi State, he was 10th, 35, or excuse me, 10th, 35th, 10th, and 12th in third down defense. So he's been almost what you would call elite on third down defense in three out of the last four years. So 
maybe if nothing else, there's some progress there and some growth as a coordinator. That's what I, I'm going to be the positive Pete and, and say that maybe that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> what makes a great quarterback in a, under Mullen? And we got two quarterbacks, of course, that we can look at, and the stats are eerily comparable when you really look at it. And a lot of it has to do with the quarterback's ability to run. Uh, and the key stat here for me is Tim Tebow's 2007 season compared to Prescott's 2014 season and how eerily similar their numbers are. In 2007, Tim Tebow led the team in carries, 210 carries, 16 attempts a game for 895 yards. So he averaged 4.3 yards an attempt with a total of 55 touchdowns. So 210 carries, 16 attempts a game. Dak Prescott, 2014, 210 carries, 16 attempts a game, 986 yards, 4.7 yards per attempt, and a total of 42 touchdowns. Uh, So the passing stats, also very similar. Tebow, 234 completions. Prescott, 244 completions. Tebow completion percentage, 67%. Dak Prescott, 62%. Uh, Tebow had 3,286 yards passing. Prescott with just a bit more, 3,449 yards passing. I know I'm getting you know getting picky there with the stats, you know, but looking at the two best quarterbacks Mullen has had and how comparable their stats are, uh, it's pretty easy to see some of the key stats here and what is expected to be one of the best quarterbacks in the nation under Dan Mullen. So how close their stats are in rushing the ball is really telling, and it was even pretty close the next season. Uh, with Tebow having 176 attempts for 673 yards and Prescott having 160 attempts for 588 yards. Uh, Tebow did have, like I said, one more game that year because of playing in the SEC Championship game in 2008. Uh, But one game doesn't really deter and what you see and what kind of play you saw from Mullen's best quarterback. So going back and looking at it, that 07 season for Tebow and that 2014 season, uh, from uh, for Prescott, I mean, it's it's crazy. Both had 210 carries, both uh, 16 attempts a game. Uh, you know, you can you know, when you look at the. Of course, we've seen said it before. The prototype quarterback under Dan Mullen. Look, I don't know if Florida will get that guy again uh, and that type of guy. But if they, if they do, you can look at those stats, and that's the type of stats you'll see from a successful quarterback under Dan Mullen. Yeah, you know, I, I think there are a couple of things you can look at there that are, that are telling. One is that um, in 2017, or 2007, Tebow completed 66.9% of his passes, but he averaged 9.4 yards per attempt. So they were going down the field. And if you look at Prescott in his big year in 2014, he had he had, he had a 61.6 completion percentage, so a little bit lower, but an 8.7 yards per attempt. And so they not only were they completing a fairly high percentage of their passes, but they were doing it down the field. So that's where the efficiency comes in. Is that you know when you're completing your passes for nine yards a clip, you're getting a lot of first downs and you're getting a lot of big plays. And big plays are where the points come from. So if you look at Florida over the last few years, those just haven't been there. You have not seen those sorts of big plays from the Gators, and that's reflected in, you know, um, I don't have the stats in front of me, but you think about Luke Del Rio, you're not getting a ton of mm-hmm. big plays from him. So Felipe Franks averaged 6.3 yards per attempt. Malik Zaire averaged 6.2. Luke Del Rio averaged 5.5. And Kadarius Tony threw two balls and averaged 25. <laughs> but, <laughs> but basically, the three main quarterbacks did not average, didn't 
average a high enough yards per attempt and they didn't complete the ball at that high a clip either. So Franks had 54% of his passes were completed and 6.3 yards per attempt. It's just not good enough, especially if you're not going to run. So part of the running, I think, opens up the offense, but also just the idea that when you're throwing the ball, you're going downfield and you're going for the jugular. And I think that's really what you're going to see with Mullen. It, you know, I wrote an article a couple of months ago looking at Mullen's offense, and the whole goal was to get the ball to the outside. Like, And in fact, when he got in the red zone, that was when he spread. So he would go to five wide in the red zone, and then the quarterback could run, mm-hmm. the running back could run, or he had one-on-one coverage with the wide receivers that he had out there. Um, and then when you looked at when you looked at him, you know, in between the twenties, it was actually much more closed in. But he was, but his goal was to get the running backs. And at the time, he had Rainey and Demps and those sorts, of, and Harvin and those guys. And his goal was to get him to the outside. So I think that's the kind of thing you'll see with Justin Watkins. I think that's the kind of thing that you'll see, perhaps with Malik Davis, is trying to get those guys to the outside and then taking shots down the middle of the field with the quarterback. Yeah, go back and look at it too, uh, as well. Like I said, the st- stats were really similar. And in a way, I think it says more about Prescott and putting up those type of numbers as Tebow because he wasn't the highly rated quarterback coming out of high school and he wasn't surrounded by you know other four- and five-star players. So while the numbers are similar, I think it can be looked at in, in different ways. Tebow, for as great as he was, you could say – you know, he did get elevated by the players around him, like Percy Harvin, Andre Caldwell, and Cornelius Ingram in 2007. Prescott did have players like Fred Ross and Deronia Wilson, uh, but the talent around both players are not even close to comparable. And that's not to say Tebow didn't elevate the players around him as well. You know, he was the linchpin in that offense, working so well and converting short yardage and red zone scores. But, you know, this shows to me that Mullen can do it in both ways. He can take the high-level talent, mold it into something dominant, or he can find a special quarterback and let that be the centerpiece of the offense and make everyone else a better and elevate their play. So his last year at Mississippi State, though, you know, might show an evolution uh, of sorts uh, when he has a talent at both quarterback and running back positions because, you know, the past season, the um, uh, Mississippi State, uh, Aris Williams, 236 carries, and you know, led the team by far uh, with 236 carries, and that's at the running back position. Uh, and you know, uh, Hill Gibson, uh, you know, they uh, 78 carries for Hill Gibson for 45. Fitzgerald only rushed the ball 162 times, and I only say that only because you know, comparing it to Williams and his 236 carries. Uh, you know, it, this wasn't the quarterback uh, as I mentioned, where you saw Prescott and you saw Tim Tebow. 210 carries apiece. It was the running back this past year at Mississippi State who had, uh, who led the team in carries. So, uh, what it does show is, uh, I think, you know, if Mullen wants to protect his quarterbacks from injury, and he has, he, look, he's never had a stable of running backs that he is walking to, walking into at Florida right now. He didn't have it when he was offensive coordinator at Florida, and he definitely never had that, uh, the, the stable back and that talented of backs at Mississippi State. So, it just lets me know. How you know, how how Mullen can really just change and adapt to the personnel he has on the field. Yeah, so I think there are a couple of things there. One is that Dak Prescott, you mentioned being a, a relatively low-rated recruit, but if you look at his high school stats, sixty-one percent or sixty-one point six percent completion percentage, eleven point one yards per attempt. If you look at Emory Jones, sixty-one point eight percent completion percentage and 13.3 yards per attempt. So really it's pretty favorable in terms Mm -hmm. of his comparison between Prescott and Emory Jones. Now the problem is when you look at, when you look at 2013 for Mississippi state, Prescott 
only completed 58% of his passes, 10 touchdowns, seven interceptions, a QB rating of 126.6. That's what I think you probably see if you start, if you start uh, Emory Jones right away. Like that's what you're going to get is you're going to get a guy who can run and you're going to get a guy who's inconsistent in the pass. Um, but, you know, Mullen's got a stable of running backs. And like you said, he has shown the ability to adjust. He has shown the ability to put his quarterbacks in a position that at least allows them an opportunity to win. And, you know, Fitzgerald has not been a world beater throwing the ball the last couple of years, but the offense has moved the ball. Certainly has moved the ball more than Nussbeier and McIlwain's offenses did the past three years. And so I think that's what we'll see as well. I, th- I think that regardless of who's in at quarterback, the running backs are going to be used extensively to, to offset any shortcomings that there might be in the passing game. I, I did some analysis on, on his recruiting at Mississippi State. And what I like to do, uh, and what I was working on with Taggart and with Norvell and some of these other candidates and Frost, is, is to see how, how did they impact recruiting. We talked about that a little bit on a couple of past episodes recently. Like, you know, when they came in, where did their classes rank as compared to the, the classes of other coaches at that university? Because it shows the kind of impact they had on them. And when I looked at it, um, Mississippi State prior to him between 2002 and 2008, which was mostly the Croom era, I, I get it, and there was some of Cheryl on the tail end of his career. They, they were averaging about 34 nationally. Uh, that's 34 nationally and about eighth in the conference. Well, when Dan Mullen came in, like Will said, he elevated the national rankings on average. Uh, he even pulled like an eight, 18 class a couple of times, and they're ranked 15th in the nation right now, uh, to where their average went up from 34 to 25 nationally. But you also saw the conference ranking drop on average from year to year from about eight and a half to just over nine. So they drew, they lost a spot under Mullen in the conference. Now, for one thing, Texas A&M and Missouri joined the conference during that time in, in 2012, I believe it was. But also, I think that's indicative that you saw the conference recruiting rise as a whole in that those glory years of the SEC that we saw. And it might be fading a little bit in that star now, but it got a little tougher. So I don't know, honestly, that we can say he really made that much of a difference on the recruiting at Mississippi State. He certainly did better nationally. He had some passing the eyeball test here. Yeah, they had some good classes. He, he found some unheralded players, especially quarterback with Prescott and Fitzgerald, that, that really turned out spectacularly. Um, but I don't know yet. Uh, because in as much as I'm telling the listeners right now that the numbers don't show a big spike, Again, I'm not sugarcoating this. I'm not sunshine pumping, but it is a lot to ask when you say going to Mississippi, which is bordered by Louisiana and Alabama, and then Florida's right around the corner to go in there. And then for that matter, Texas school is going to reach in there and Georgia to go in there as the, you know, sixth or seventh best team in your division in the SEC against those programs and to recruit well. Uh, And then you got Ole Miss to contend with in state. So I just don't know. The good news is, we know that he's got some some coaches on staff with Florida ties between Hevesy and Gonzalez and some of those guys. And if he retains a few on the current staff, I believe that they are going to have the connections in state, especially with his experience, to get it done. But we are going to have to find out a little bit about who he is as a recruiter. Yeah, one of the interesting things, if you look at 2004 to 2008, and again, this is Kroom, but still, it's Mississippi State. So they averaged two blue chips, two four-star, five-star players. And if you look at Mullen under his years from 2009 to 2017, they averaged four. And they had a couple of years where they had seven. And in 2013, they had five. So, you know, 
from from a national ranking, they raised the they raised the bar. From a conference perspective, maybe they didn't. But like you mentioned, A and M coming in, but really, a quality of player coming into the program was significantly improved. And I don't know necessarily that. I mean, you know, A and M and and Missouri joining were only going to pull talent out of Mississippi. So, um, you know, we'll we'll see. I, I think you know. Some people have wanted to make comparisons to like James Franklin being at Vanderbilt and then going to Penn State. Um, you know, I've 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 sort of talked about that a little bit in terms of Chris Peterson and uh, going from Boise to Washington and then Sarkeesian going from Washington to USC. And then if you think of Washington as being a place where there aren't a whole where there isn't a whole lot of blue chip talent, you you know. Peterson is in that third, fourth, fifth in the Pac-12. Sarkeesian was in that same place. And then when he went to USC, all of a sudden he was the top dog and he was number one in the conference. Um, you know, I, the problem I have is that I, I'm not necessarily sure that Mullen can unseat Saban as the number one guy in the conference. And I'm not sure that he can unseat Smart as the number one guy in the East. And I think that's maybe where the apprehension on the recruiting comes from is, you know, if he's third in the conference from here on out, that's probably good enough to compete every once in a while, but it's not going to be good enough to be the top dog in the East or the top dog in the SEC consistently like Florida was under Meyer or Spurrier. I don't have the data to to comment on whether or not they can keep you there consistently, but third in the conference is the magic number is the lowest common denominator so far for the playoff teams. And I know I keep coming back to that. So if we could get there, that's a, that's a benchmark we haven't met under McElwain. Uh, so I would love to see that. And I, it would be a positive step. The one thing I would add here, when we talk about them averaging, you know, ninth in the conference, because there were some years that they were better than that, well, you have to run down the list there. Well, Alabama, perennial national title, title contender. LSU has been a perennial national title contender. It's 1-1 uh, while Dan Mullen was there. Well, actually, it was just before he got there. Auburn's won a couple of titles since then. Um, you know, Florida just won titles in 06 and 08. You know, Georgia hasn't, you know, they've had a long-term problem with living up to their potential, but they're also the fourth best talent state in America. You know, and then Tennessee is in, uh, they, they won a title in 98, a national title, you know, in an excellent talent state. And then Texas A&M is the top talent state in the country. So these are all schools that they're competing with for these conference rankings. Um, you know, maybe I'm kind of – shading on the side of the sunshine right now, but I just, I feel like there's a legitimate reason for them to be hovering that level, even with Dan Mullen doing a good job. But like you said, we do have to find out, can he go toe to toe and prove that he's not just a good coach and a good recruiter, but a great one. So there you have it. An in-depth look at what Dan Mullen is bringing to Gainesville. Thanks to all of you out there that continue to support Gators Breakdown. And to all the new listeners, this podcast is growing. Uh, thanks to you out there. Uh, and we look forward to sharing an exciting season with all of you out there. So I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Co-host Will Miles. You can find his articles at readandreaction.com and on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. As far as Bill Sykes, you heard him in the episode as well. He'll be sprinkled throughout Twitter and stuff. We'll try and get him on again soon. Uh, just whenever he wants to come on, we'll get him on. Uh, so thanks for listening to Gators Breakdown. Glad you guys like it. Glad you guys keep checking it out. Glad, glad you guys keep sharing it. Glad we're keeping growing and uh, letting Gator Nation know uh, our thoughts of what's going on uh, with the Gators. So guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. Gators Breakdown.